Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome everybody to my independence report. And it is, um, well, it's a Wednesday. Not that that matters because you may listen to this at another time other than that, but, uh, it's, it's Wednesday in our world. And, uh, we have a great, uh, guest for you today. She is an author and she's written a couple of books. She's also a mother and, uh, she's got great, uh, three great teenagers and she is passionate about becoming an author. She's been an award winner. And she's had several uh, um, uh, awards to her name. Her name is uh, Jenna Ashlyn, and uh, she's with us right now. So, um, Jenna, how are you today? I'm doing great. <laughs> I know that uh, that uh, I appreciate you coming here because I know that you're a little under the weather, but uh, we're going to get through this and it's going to be just fine. So. Yes, so like I might be a little slow at times, but we'll get. I don't want to like renege on my commitments, and, and I really want to be here, and I've been really looking forward to this. So I'm glad you have been because I've been looking forward to talking to you as well. Now you and you're an author, and you you've written a couple of novels, and uh, the first one um, that we well, first of all, let me ask you. Get, let me give you. Let's give the audience a little bit of, of your bio. And uh, I know that you've, you've wanted to be an author for like ever. And uh, you picked now is the right time to do it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a published author, survivor, and an advocate for um, survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. I actually went through advocacy training after ending up helping another woman through. Um, and my books have a lot to do with surviving trauma surviving trauma is is a um is a is a, is a really common theme these days how is your work and what you do uh when you're talking about trauma how does it how does it feel for you because i know i know that you've worked with women and you're an advocate for for survival of sexual assault sexual abuse which by the way i don't know if you've noticed but in our country it's kind of rampant um, and a lot of people are not even still to this day, and this is 2022, are still not talking about it, are they? No, not the way they should be. I mean, they put like cute little labels on it. I mean, I guess they're not cute, but compared to what it really is, you know, oh, well, you know, everybody goes through that. I mean, which they do, but there's so much more to it than that. You know, they talk about narcissistic abuse, like it's no big deal. And they talk about gaslighting as just a nice way to put a label on it and move on. They're like, okay, here's your sticker, move on now. And that doesn't really address what really happens. And I don't, I don't think people talk about it in a way that they should. Everybody is kind of afraid of being triggered. And if you're really trying to heal and move on and reclaim your independence, that's the last thing that you want to do. 
because you want to be able to work through that and recognize those emotions. And that's what I'm all about. How do you help people? And I love, I love the term that you used: regain their independence, because this is all about our, this, this show, my independence report is all about uh, declaring our freedom from hate, division, and fear and fear and, and division and hate go hand in hand with uh, sexual abuse and physical abuse of any kind, don't they? Absolutely. They really do. And it really, people don't realize how much of a big deal it is because a lot of women and men that have gone through this have gone through any kind of trauma, not just sexual assault or domestic violence. They do live in a state of fear. Uh, PTSD is a very real thing for a lot of people. And there's so much shame around it. And people are afraid to heal. They're they're afraid to display those emotions or to express them to anyone. And that really hinders being able to survive and, and move forward and, and live the kind of life that they really want to live. In, in your experience, because you're right, shame plays a great big part into it, which is why a lot of people don't even talk about it. They don't get help for it. And, and a lot of times the perpetrator of the violence um, is free to, go and do it again because nobody's stopping them. How, how do you uh, help people get over the shame or to get them to understand that it's that shame really has nothing to do with it, that they were, they were in, and I guess, is it because it's sexual abuse rather than uh, domestic violence in, in general terms, or is it, is it because of that, that, that people are ashamed of it because they, they don't want to admit that they were either raped or, or were, or something along those lines? Is it, is it because of that, do you think? I do. And the reason for that is simply because women are shamed. You know, well, what were you wearing? You were asking for it. There's a lot of common statements and questions. And another big one is, why didn't you just leave? So all of that puts all of the blame on the person who's been through it, through the victim that has you know, went through all of this, everybody's kind of just pointing the blame to them. You know, the questions are, are to them, you know, the same questions I just asked, you know, why didn't you just leave? Or what were you wearing? Were you asking for it? I bet you were. Or they think that, oh, you're just trying to get someone in trouble because you're jealous. A lot of that happens with celebrities. But what I found out in, in my training for advocacy is that less than 2% of reports that are filed for sexual assault are fictitious, only less than 2%. That's not a lot. That means the majority of people are telling the truth and people just aren't listening because they don't want to accept it. They would rather ask them the questions. You know, they don't ask, you know, the perpetrator or the abuser those same questions. And you asked me earlier, you, you've asked twice, and I didn't mean to like sidestep your question. You know, what do I do to help um, victims become survivors? And that is sometimes they just need someone to listen. You know, I am a survivor myself and I talk to them from a place of experience and from a little bit of advocacy training, but that doesn't make me a mental health expert. I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of mental health experts and I read a lot of books and I can kind of glean from that a little bit but I'm just the kind of person that can be supportive and can understand where they're coming from and be that listening ear and let them know the things that I did to make it through. And that's been very rewarding. 
Yeah, I as a um, uh, editorial here, I, I I think it's really sad that um, there still is out there the perception that depending upon how you're dressed, whether or not you go to someone's apartment and or whatever the case may be, that they they think that you're responsible for what happened to you, which was something that is really horrific. Um, and it, it, it boggles my mind that, that we still have that perception by a lot of people. But if you look at what happens with, you know, in, in the last three or four years, there have been several groups of women that have come forward to talk about <coughs> a particular individual. Uh, one of them was in a very high place, uh, in our country that, uh, an individual that, that, uh, took advantage of women and many women have come forward and, and a lot of them have been, um, Oh no, that didn't really happen. You're just trying to get publicity. It's, it's really hard for somebody to come forward and, and, and to tell the truth that way, because the stones that get thrown at them are many and often, aren't they? So it's not, it's not an easy thing to come forward. No, it's not easy at all. I, uh, I wrote Sheila's men on my second book, and this is just kind of an example of how hard it can be. And it was no big deal whenever I was starting to write it, but whenever I got about halfway through, you know, it went from being something that kind of helped me heal and relive it and re-trigger myself. And I mean, it's not a fun experience, but it's very healing. And, and that's how I, I worked through things because, you know, if you're triggering, triggered by something that gives you an opportunity to find out why. And I journaled it and I, I wrote the book and about halfway through, I realized that it wasn't really just about me. And I thought about all of the women that this could help all of them that think that they're alone because, you know, everybody says, you know, oh, it's, it's rampant, it's everywhere, but nobody talks about what really happens, especially not with mental abuse, marital rape, sexual coercion, and things like that. They don't talk about it because it's the world wants to pretend that marital rape doesn't exist. And it very much does. And for me to come forward writing the book was one thing and I started sharing it with people and realizing how important it could be. And it was scary at first, you know, I put it out there as complete and total fiction. Didn't say anything about it being based on a true story and it was getting rejected. And so I kind of sat back, I took a moment and I'm like, okay, I know this book needs to get out here. I've published before, you know, what do I need to do? So I filed my police report and I remember sitting in the car getting ready to go into the sheriff's office and I was petrified because a lot of things, I live in a small town. So the likelihood of him driving by or like some of his uh, supporters who are just as crazy as he is would see my car because I have a very easily recognizable car. Um, I was afraid for my life. I was afraid that, oh, he's going to see this. You know, he's threatened me that if I say anything to anyone, that he was going to make my life a living hell and that he was going to come after me. I have screenshots of, of things like that that he has said. But 
I remember just kind of looking out the windshield and listening to this song that's very encouraging to me. And I thought, you know, no matter what happens, at least I have done the right thing. You are very brave. I don't know if I'm brave or stupid, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and the reason that I say brave, obviously, is that being in a small town, uh, you can't necessarily get away from it uh, through anonymity because everybody knows who you are and they know what kind of car you drive and all of that. And there are going to be people, whether we like it or not, and tell me if this is true or not, but there are going to be people that are going to support him and believe whatever he says as the truth and that you are not telling the truth. Uh, that, yeah. that, that happens in a lot of cases. Yeah, there's going to be a handful of those, but they're a very strong-willed bunch. Um, some in some circles, they call like the supporters of the narcissist. You know, they're they're winged monkeys, like kind of the Wicked Witch of the West, and they have their. <laughs> yeah, that's like so accurate too. <laughs> yeah, but I have my supporters too, and. I do use a pen name and I changed his name. We're calling it a, a fictional retelling because not everything is like point by point by point. It, some of them are metaphors or like a combination of events kind of put into one just to kind of save time. And there's a whole note about it in the back of the book. But, you know, I've done all of these things to like cover myself and but I also have the police reports and I have where I did go after a protection order and you wouldn't believe the way I lost it. It was insane. So you went well, wait a minute, back up. You went you went for a protection order to protect yourself from somebody. And for those of you who don't know what a protection order is, it prevents the individual from coming within so many feet or so many so many yards or miles or whatever. And they're not allowed to come to your house. They're not allowed to stalk you. They're not allowed to do any of those sorts of things. Did you not, were you denied a uh, uh, protection order? Well, I got the temporary protection order, but whenever it was time to go into the courthouse, he actually got a lawyer and it was postponed. And now, mind you, I do a lot of trained advocacy and I reach out to a lot of women because people know that I'm a survivor. And the woman after me actually reached out to me because he had actually cheated on me with her. And I was just really nice to her because I really didn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're kind of all good. And I'm glad he's going away now. I mean, yeah, he was distracted. I mean, he was still holding on to me for dear life. And it's, it's kind of a long story between me and her, but I kept those lines of communication open. And that's what's important because I wanted to be there for her if she ever needed me. Well, a couple years later, she did. And so I talked to her a lot on messenger and I'm try I try to be there for her. And she says that it's helped her a lot. And that actually is part of what inspired me to go into advocacy training. But the reason that I lost the uh, main court hearing was because I was basically in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like I was getting groceries and she works at the grocery store and we ended up walking out together and just talking. Well, she was going to pick up their son from him. 
So I went to my car, she went to hers and sometimes it takes me a couple minutes, you know, to text my family, say, hi, I'm on my way. I'm going to need help. You know, all hands on deck, everybody get ready to help bring in the groceries kind of a thing. And that's just my normal routine. Well, I see her kind of pull off and I don't think a whole lot of it. And then I hear screaming and yelling from across the parking lot. So I want to make sure she's okay and that that baby's okay. And I kind of just cruise around a little bit and wait for him to leave. And I'm just kind of watching to make everything sure everything's okay. Now the temporary protection order was in place at that time. So I stayed pretty far away. And then whenever he left, I went over there and she's panicking and freaking out and crying. And she's holding the baby who's this little boy that's about a year old. And, you know, she's holding him and screaming and panicking. So I get out of the car because she's my friend and I'm concerned. And I take the baby. Well, they stop at the end of the parking lot and take pictures. And they said that we were just trying to set them up because there was going to be a custody battle, which I didn't know anything about. And she didn't know anything about that was something that he was doing. But because I stopped to help someone who was panicking and holding a baby and just trying to make sure that they were okay, I lost my case. That's crazy. That's just absolutely so crazy. It's so, so I, you know, and I know that yeah, you use a different name and I will not use his name here, but, um, and I, I, I just want to highlight for everybody the fact that, that not only did this man abuse you, but then after it was over with you, the next person that was right in line because they cheated on her with you or with cheated on you with her, um, the same thing happened to her. So what do you think is the matter with him? What is going on? What is, why does a guy do that? I, I, I really don't understand. And so maybe you can help me with that type of an individual. Cause that, that putting my hands on a woman is not something that I would ever even consider doing ever. Um, the best, and I hate saying, I say, um, a lot, the only way to really All describe right, it. <laughs> the only way to really describe it is that he is a narcissist. Um, he shows all of the classic signs and that is a mental disorder. He truly believes, and I'm not trying to defend him, but because we have a right to not be violated. But if you look at him as a person, because we're all human beings and we all need help. A narcissist is someone who doesn't understand that they need help they are thoroughly convinced that they are the victim, even though they have very distinct timelines and patterns that they tend to follow almost religiously, but they don't realize they're doing it. And a lot of the times that does come from a very difficult childhood or from parents who are narcissistic. And in his case, that is um, certainly valid to say the least. And I think that's very sad, but the refusal to get help or to acknowledge any kind of fault of their own is a classic sign of narcissism. And there's really not a whole lot you can do about it, but regardless of what somebody else has been through, the victims 
of a narcissist have a right to be heard and have a right to to escape now is it because they they excuse the expression their, their shit don't stink or that they're they're perfect and 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 that you're the you're the actual problem is that is that what goes through their mind yeah right basically yes and and so but th- th- that still doesn't open up that still i still don't understand why somebody would then feel like he's got the freedom to uh, lay his hands on you or to or to, or to to sexual assault you or do anything like that um is that part of the uh, narcissistic uh, personality traits i think that it is i cannot you know speak in absolute certainty on that because i haven't looked it up in the books lately but um they're forever changing that's very true but it is tends to be a hallmark it they start out being very loving and caring and treating you like you're the love of their life and the best thing that's ever happened to them. And you're slowly kind of groomed and controlled into where if you ever say anything against them or disagree with them, you're the one to blame. They tend to twist things and make you think that you're the crazy one. I know at one point I thought for sure that I had two or three disorders and was going through a midlife crisis and you know, the reason I didn't love him as, as much as I should have was because that was all my fault and I was crazy. And so whenever you're going through those beginning stages, it's happened so slowly in, in most cases that you don't realize what's happened until it's too late. And then you can't get out. Yes. And that, that, that's a horrible part. And, you know, when, when people say, well, you know, why didn't you just leave? In some cases, and your case was one of them, you, it's, it's really is impossible. You're in a small town. Uh, he would know where you are unless you, you know, left town. And, and, and at the same time, why should you have to change your life um, because of somebody else's doing what they're doing? It's, it's, it's not fair to you. Um, but, that's, but that's why a lot of women stay, isn't it? That is part of it. For one, maybe they don't have the support. Um, that they need, yeah, or something. There's nowhere to go, or either they don't realize they're being abused yet, or whenever they do realize it and they are tired of it, there's nowhere to go. Here in our little town, there wasn't any kind of shelters, even if there are any. Most of the time, they're over full. I didn't have. I have three children, so there wasn't room for me and three kids anywhere. And I was the one that was working. I was the breadwinner in the home. And I wanted a safe place for me and my kids to be. Another thing that happens to a lot of people is the realization that the most dangerous time to leave, you know, to be with an abuser is when you're trying to leave because they will lash out and they will try to regain control. So it was very, very difficult. I actually managed to get him to leave willingly, and that took a lot of guts, and it was very, very difficult. That's why I I was kind of thankful that he cheated, because it distracted him enough for me to figure out how to leave, because he had to have a new supply, and that's kind of how it works with a narcissist. So not only was he not being a very nice person, but you were also the breadwinner? So was he not working? No, he refused to work saying that he wasn't able to. 
and that he kept saying that he wasn't smart enough. He kept saying he was disabled, which he is not. He's been working at the same place for probably about three years or so now. Four years. Four years, I think. He's been working in the same place. Because eventually I said, you're going to leave. You have to get a job. Because I'm not going to keep taking care of you anymore. And it took quite a while of me saying that and him trying to convince me otherwise. And it was just all out war, one battle at a time. And it was exhausting and horrific. And like I said, he did have a distraction. So that helped. I wish it wouldn't have been her because she's the sweetest person in the world, but we're both what okay is, now. What is, <laughs> what is it about, you know, I, I you know, I, help me here because an unemployed guy, is he incredibly good looking? Is he uh, a master manipulator? What, what, what was his, his shtick that he could get multiple women to uh, to take care of him and and believe his um, line of bullshit. It's master manipulation. Yeah, that's what it must be. That's what because it must be. Because he wants people to feel narcissists tend to want people to feel sorry for them and to take care of them, and they feed off of that. Wow. Well, you know, and and you have um, with your. With your children, how? By the way, how are they doing through all of this? That's rough. Um, not not great. They were very happy to leave, you know, to be away from him and to have him out of the picture. But there has been some definite mental health issues with all three of them. I'm so sorry. We're, we're still battling it. There's been hospitalizations and cutting and um, thoughts of suicide. And um, one of my children was hospitalized twice for suicidal thoughts. And the, and one of the other ones was hospitalized once so far. So it's still an ongoing battle, but we're all the better for it. It's, I mean, I'm living a, I have reclaimed my life and so have they, and life is so much better now, but there's still a healing process and it, some people take longer than others. And, and teenagers, it takes, it's hard for kids. Um, they, they see all of this stuff going on and, and they don't necessarily understand it. And, and sometimes they internalize it and it becomes their fault and, and things. And that's, and that's not appropriate. That's not right. But that's what that's kind of what kids do. And yeah. uh, so I applaud you for for understanding the the issues that are going on. And, and I know that you're helping your kids get through it so that they can grow up and, and lead uh, uh, wonderful lives because they're they're so young as a teenager. Yeah, they just don't realize how young they are, which is kind of a good thing. Yeah, well, teenagers don't. When I, when I was 17, I thought, well, I'm all grown up. Well, I wasn't grown up until I was about 35. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but they don't, they don't get that. And kids, kids are kind of that way, but I'm, 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 I'm proud of you for doing that and doing what you're doing and, uh, and congratulate and, and, and thank you for being strong. And I'm glad that you're helping other women who can benefit from your experiences and, uh, be strong like you. Thank you. So let's talk about your books and being an author and doing what you're doing. 
Um, okay. you, you've always wanted to be an author and you took this time to create a couple of books and, uh, the first one you wrote was within the gray. Tell us about the title. What does that mean? Within the gray, the gray is a place and I absolutely love within the gray, probably because of that place. It is, it begins talking about a woman who, who lost her husband and became a widow at a young age. And she was 30 years old and her husband dies of a heart attack and he is 11 years older than her. And she's completely de devastated and is, has lost everything and has no idea how, how to move on. And here I am talking like it's not based on real life. It, it kind of is. <laughs> it's definitely fiction, but I drew from that part of myself because I went through that. And it was the gray is a place that you go to in your mind whenever you're going through trauma. It's basically kind of like a purgatory. But in the book, it mirrors her journey through help and healing. And whenever I was writing it, I actually wrote it in the middle of, of my abusive relationship. And it was everything that I wished I would have done. Everything that I wanted to have, which was um, a wonderful support person who helped me heal and let me communicate and let me mourn. But as I was, as I had entered the abusive relationship after a while, um, I wasn't allowed to mourn and that was kind of the way I coped. And I mean, basically that that's the gist of it. It's a young widow learning how to, to live and love again that goes through a series of psychological dreams and visions that mirror her journey. And the uh, reviews of the book have been very, very positive. Yes, they have. And, and that led you to write the, uh, the second book, which is actually kind of a prequel to the, to the, uh, um, the, the first book, which is within the gray. The second one is Sheila's, um, Sheila's men. Sheila's men. And Sheila is actually her mother, right? Yes. Within the gray um, stars Tara and Paul. And Tara is, you know, kind of at odds with her mother a little bit here and there. But you kind of see Sheila, who is the mother, kind of evolve throughout the book. And I really loved her as a character and her character evolution and just how she is as a person and I saw so much potential for backstory so I pulled her out of within the gray and I made her her own book and so in Sheila's men you actually get to see Tara grow up as a little girl oh cool and you're also a poet I am I yeah, so actually have some poems in within the gray and then I don't do a whole lot with it right now because I was taking these college courses and they were very restrictive and that's no fun. So <laughs> college is never <laughs> any fun, but, but, uh, but you, you, you have won the, um, you've been published in the Atwood review night roses and the poet's choice. You are a night, yes. 2019 mayor, or. Uh, award nominee and the winner of the Star Jewel Showcase Writers Award 
for your early work yes. within of within the gray. So you are an award winner. Yes, within the gray had awards before it was even published. And that's because I had taken like little parts of it out and I would submit it to to different things. Now the Star Jewel National Contest, it was like the first three or four pages of Within the Gray because it starts out in the gray in that dream world. And that's what I submitted and it won like national overall. And then for the Meyer Awards, the piece that I had written that was nominated for that award, which is very hard to get, like nobody knows what's going on and only professors at Marshall can nominate different people. And it's a huge honor. And it was actually a piece that um, was in, ended up in Sheila's men. Congratulations. So, so you have come out through the other side and you are shining and you're following your passion and you're, you're very good at what you do. And that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I wanted to be a writer just as soon as somebody read something to me. Like my brother read me a story whenever I was a little, little tiny girl before I could read, before I could write. And it stuck with me forever. And I just wanted to be one of those people that could create those worlds and, and take people to another place and make them feel things. And so I, all of my writing is very visual, um, descriptive, but not like overkill to where you can fill yourself in those, in those worlds and in the books that I create. And I'm very thematic. So there's always a point. There's always more to it than just what's on the surface. And I know that uh, Sheila's Men was just released. How is it doing so far? Um, it's, it's doing pretty good. It it's, takes a little while to get the word out there. Yep. But it is available everywhere now because it kind of staggered in kind of slowly. And but in the first week, it did debut in the top 100 in several different categories on Amazon. So it's doing pretty good. Good for you. Good for you. And what's next for you? Um, oddly enough, I stepped on back further in the past again, and I actually have, um, another one that is, is based on a true story, but it's a fictional retelling of what my childhood was like and what it was like becoming an author and, and living in the Northern areas of Appalachia. So there's going to be a whole lot going on there. And, and unfortunately there's going to be some trauma there too, because, you know, I didn't get to escape all that, but I'm actually working on that book. And then there's another one, which could be considered a sequel to Sheila's Men. But just to protect myself, I'm kind of doing it independently, where a group of girls go through advocacy training and realize that the police officers and the lawyers are not giving justice to all these girls that are going through this and have been traumatized. So they find a way to sneakily, um, take justice into their own hands and that's going to be a very fun book to write <laughs> <laughs> that will be that will be a lot of fun to write i am sure i am sure by the way we are talking with jenna ashland go to amazon and look for um both of her books then and it is uh the author of within the gray and also sheila's men and uh She's it's it's right here. I'm looking at it right now. It's a five star book and uh, it's it's a, it's a great thing. So congratulations. I'm I'm so glad that that 
and I really hope that your teenagers see that a being a published author and that you've come out the other side and that it's not the end of the world that, that it does continue and they can, they can deal with it in a positive way and get through it and with your help and with your advocacy and get through it so that they can lead healthy, happy, normal lives. They definitely see it. It's still just a process. However, it takes some time for them because their first instinct was kind of to just shove it down and they're working through it. And, you know, unfortunately some medifications of stuff have, have gotten involved, which we believe very much in coping mechanisms and only using medication, you know, as a last resort. You know, it's great for some people, but we are more concerned about coping mechanisms and, and working through things. That's just kind of who we are as a family. I don't want to offend anybody by thinking that I'm against medication because I'm not. But um, well, moving on. Well, from I'll go ahead and offend somebody. Uh, because in my in my humble opinion, medication is uh, like a band aid over a uh, uh, a wound that needs a tourniquet because it doesn't it it doesn't it, it, there there are times when it's appropriate, but um, getting to the root cause and dealing with the root cause is much more is and into helping people cope and learn how to cope with the trauma that they've sustained in their life is. And so that they can figure out how to live their life medication free is always, always the best option, I think. Um, for us, what we're doing is, um, unfortunately, one of the kids has really severe social anxiety and, and PTSD and it's causing them not to be able to function hardly at all. And so we are using the medication to kind of calm down the symptoms enough to where she can focus on the healing process and coping strategies because they're not really working for her as as they should so how how old a child is this 15 oh man that i remember when i was 15 that's a tough tough age even when you're healthy and happy and and all of that and so i I can and i applaud you and and i give you all of our love that that you can that you can get through it And, and you're doing the very best you can and and you should congratulate yourself and you also came here and you weren't feeling very good so um i i appreciate you doing this i'm happy to be here i want to really reach out to as as many people as possible one thing that i didn't mention you know as far as what's next you know i want to talk about the books and stuff because that's fun and but i'm and everything but i am also working on figuring out what to do next I've considered public speaking. I do want to create so a program for pastors and religious leaders because a lot of our crisis centers for domestic violence and sexual assault are completely overrun. And sometimes the church doesn't know how to respond and sometimes they cause more harm than good. So I really feel that they need, and rather than attack them or point my finger at them or anything like that, I need to understand that they just don't have the education that they need and I'm wanting to create a program to help pastors and religious leaders become trauma informed so that they can recognize those things and be another resource for, for women. That would be awesome. 
because that you can that can help a lot of folks because you're right and a lot of a lot of the the folks that are that have grown up to be pastors and stuff they they don't necessarily get a chance to live in the real world of what it's of what it can really be like in a in a bad situation yeah that's very true and i am able to speak their language i have had a lot of ministry training and have been in the church most of my life, although I'm not real, I'm not exactly active right now. And I don't want to get into that. I'm still a conservative Christian, but as far as my values and everything are concerned. So I feel like I'm uniquely able to address a lot of what their concerns are and show them a path to help people. I think that would be that, that you can help an amazing amount of people by doing that. So congratulations. I hope that that comes to fruition. Will you come back when you, when you get that written and done and you're starting to talk to guys and, and gals that are in the ministry and to, to help them out? Absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping to have a chance to work on that and get that put together for this April, which is sexual assault awareness month. Absolutely. That's, that would be a perfect time to do it. So we've come to the end of our time together, but I would like you to give, I always allow our, my guests to have a moment or two to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know about anything at all, either now or in the future of somebody that listens to this podcast. Okay. One of the most important messages that I want to leave people with is that it's okay to be triggered. It's important to allow yourself that because it's your body and your mind letting you know that you need to heal. If you use those moments and journal down how you're feeling, that can be a resource and a tool to help you heal and get through it. It's a great way to, if you get triggered by my book, which if you've had any kind of experiences like this, you will. I highly recommend journaling down your thoughts and your feelings and going back to it later and finding those patterns and asking yourself why you can keep it to yourself. You can share those thoughts with, with a friend or loved one who is your trusted partner, or you could take it to your therapist. It can help you heal a little faster. It's a good thing. Being triggered is a good thing and not something to be avoided because it will help you. If somebody wants to contact you, how do they go about doing that? The best way to do that is through social media. I have Facebook is under author Jenna Ashlyn. Twitter is Jenna Ashlyn one and Instagram is Jenna Ashel. Basically I didn't have the Y in on the end, but if all else fails, you can Google author Jenna Ashlyn and I will pop up. If anybody has any questions, concerns, or just wants to talk, I will absolutely do my best to get back with you very quickly because I believe in helping as many people as I can. That's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for that. Because this is the, we can't, this is a, one of those all hands on deck kind of issues. We all have, to, really we all have to work together. Yes. And so thank you very much, Jenna. And uh, Jenna Ashland has been our guest. Go get her books. And uh, the uh, uh, within the gray is the first one. Sheila's men is the second one and that one just came out so so go look at those on amazon or or at any major bookseller and and pick them up i I think they're well worth the read so uh, jenna thank you so much for being here if you'll wait right there for just a second i gotta do this and then i'll be right back 
Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.